Greetings, colleagues and friends. Cambria Evans here, the teaching and learning EMDR consultant. Y'all, it is so good to be back with you on the video podcast. I've been missing connecting with you this way. Like many of you, I got COVID over the winter uh, and then got a flu and just everyone's been sick and it's been hard. So it's good to be back with you feeling healthy. Sun's coming out for spring and um, just kind of navigating through this very weird time with all of you the past couple of years. So we'll, we'll keep figuring it out. But I'm excited to come back uh, on the video podcast because I have a really incredible uh, interview today. It felt more like talking with an old friend, but I got to sit down with Mara Tesler-Stein in Israel. And she is somebody who is not just an expert on perinatal and, and EMDR and so many other content areas, but She's someone who I think is really a thought leader in the EMDR community around this question of, can you do EMDR with someone who is pregnant? And I might just have a series at this point in 2022 called All the Ways I Was Wrong because I love, you know, like like all of you, I love lifelong learning. I love to see how and when I was given information that was wrong. <laughs> and how that information now changes as I get new information. Because it's the same process that we do with our EMDR clients, isn't it, right? They come in with some kind of narrative about themselves or the world based on some kind of traumatic experience or relationship. They come in with this old learning and they get to literally shift in front of your eyes, right? With this new learning. And this is the process here on the podcast of challenging old beliefs, challenging, you know, old learning and thinking with a clinical reasoning brain about why we are holding on to an answer. And it's just, it's a beautiful process to watch this unfold um, with clients and clinicians and consultations. So I hope you enjoy this conversation I got to have with Mara about this question I see and hear all the time in consultation of can you do EMDR when someone is pregnant. Enjoy. So today I am so excited and so honored to get to hang out with someone that we have all seen post great information on every EMDR Facebook group. She really is someone that I respect as a thought leader in EMDR, as a fellow twin mom, and somebody who I think is really on a mission to help us get clear about what is true and not true when it comes to EMDR and pregnancy. So I want to welcome to the podcast our third international guest coming from Israel. We have Mara Tesler-Stein joining us today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. It's so great to meet you. I'm really excited to talk to you too. Me too. Me too. I I feel like I know you. I've been watching you post in the Facebook groups and I'm always Same. just really um, impressed with your answer because I get the sense that you have this value to help people understand not just the answer, but the why. So yes. I hope anyone listening today feels like they can come away with the why, and that it feels like it's kind of dropped in for them. But before we dive into all the incredible content we're going to get to, do you want to let folks know kind of like who you are and what you're up to? Sure. Absolutely. So I am a clinical psychologist and a PMHC, which is a um, certification in perinatal mental health. I 
um, based right now in the Judean Hills just outside of Jerusalem um, and also in Chicago. And I have been doing EMDR since 2000, uh, 20, 2003. Can I speak? I can't speak. Languages, languages. It's nighttime where you are, by the way. It is. Yeah, you're doing great. It is. <laughs> anyway, I've been doing EMDR since 2003. And I've been interested in trauma for as long as I can remember. So mm-hmm. even in my initial clinical training, and I'm trained initially as a child and adolescent psychologist. That's where I started. Okay. So I'm really a developmentalist at heart and an attachment-focused therapist at heart. Mm-hmm. Everything I do is relational. That's just that's just how it is. And, and I, I really believe and I know from my experience that everything is better mm-hmm. when you start with a relationship. Um, and it's the cornerstone really of all good healthcare. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear you and I so, hear you and I, I feel it even just talking with you through the screen, like this is who you are. Yeah. I awesome. appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad it comes through because, you know, it, it is hard over the screen. But, but I was always the person in, um, in training and in the community mental health center when, when a trauma would come through and mm-hmm. everybody's overbooked, you know, everybody's exhausted. Who would like to take this child's house just burned down? Mm-hmm. And this was before I was trained in EMDR and, and really was just getting an inkling of what EMDR was. In fact, we had um, somebody in Chicago, Her- um, Harold Lipke, who was at the VA, who came and talked to us about it probably in 1991. But there wasn't any, the accessibility wasn't really there. So when I embarked on my own, my husband and I, on our journey to start a family, and it did not go the way we all imagined it would go, mm-hmm. um, and went into infertility treatments, and then ultimately became pregnant with my twins, and then went into preterm labor with my twins at 24 weeks of a 40-week pregnancy and spent six and a half weeks in the hospital, tilted backward in a bed on and off, the most noxious medications you can imagine, trying to prevent the babies from being born too soon. And then they were born 10 weeks early. And then they spent 10 weeks in intensive care. Wow. So my world completely changed. Yes. I had already been interested in infancy and early childhood. I'd already been interested in attachment and parenting. Mm. So it really felt like the universe had kind of helped me line up all the pieces. Yes. And then here was this experience. And really, I have to say that while the medical care was outstanding, the psychological support was really spotty. Yeah. And there's, you know, when when the psychological support, you know, on bed rest, on a prolonged bed rest, and in, in newborn intensive care and afterwards is, yeah, this must be so hard. And then like, that's, that's like all they got. It really, you know, parents feel like either there's something really wrong with me or you're missing something. Yes. So I really started on this journey that took me in, into a lot of really incredible places. And one of the things that started to happen as I got more and more engaged in the perinatal mental health world and had to be self-taught because there was virtually nothing out there. Um, really? Was, yeah, there were a few books here and there was nothing for parents of preemies that was emotionally focused. Wow. Okay. Which is how I ended up co-writing a book for parents of preemies because there was nothing. And I was part of a an online parents of preemies group and everyone was like, do it. Yeah. So yeah, it took seven years, but we did it. Amazing. But seeing seeing clients come through who'd had all kinds of perinatal trauma and see that they would get better but then they'd hit, it felt like a cul-de-sac. Mm. It would just kind of keep circling. Yep. 
And so I thought to myself, well, EMDR sounds ridiculous, but perhaps I should get trained in it before I decide it's actually ridiculous. That's the path, isn't it? You hear about it and you're like, is this, am I being punked right now? Is this a real Yeah. You really think like, is this the flavor of the month? You know, like, what is this? So this is, you know, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and got trained. And I'm, I'm really, I'm somebody who really believes, you know, you need to get the, the rules down. You need to get it and really understand it yes. before you're going to make modifications. So I read the EMDR listserv religiously. At that point, that was all there was. You know, you could only get trained by the Institute. It's mm-hmm. great training. And the first client that I did full, you know, phases one through eight with was somebody who'd um, had a, a, a really devastating perinatal loss, was pregnant again. Wow. And was still having flashbacks and nightmares and was better in a lot of ways. And so we targeted the worst part and moved through the, the reprocessing, you know, having done our resourcing and all, all the things we need to do. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, she read the book, she's just being compliant. This can't be right. It's impossible. It felt like watching ice evaporate. Wow. Because it moved, it moved the way we're told it's going to move. Yes. And moved all the way through this reprocessing. And then, you know, we did, we did some more work in the, in the weeks after finish and then she discharged and then then I heard from her with a birth announcement oh and that was it for me I was like like I'm in let's do this I'm in let's do this let's do this and was really seeing quite a lot of of perinatal trauma yes and so um you know my journey has been really complex in I think really rich ways Mm -hmm. so I spent seven years researching and writing a book with Debbie Davis who wrote Empty Cradle Broken Heart Um, surviving the death of your baby. She's a developmental psychologist and writer, you know, spent a lot, spent just a lot of time really thinking about this experience from a a wide range of experiences. Also, we interviewed parents all all around the world. Mm. So my, my learning about this was also very broad. Um, So I, you know, I just kind of put my head down. I did my work for a long time and then my kids got older they went off to college and I poked my head up and I looked around and I'm like, what's up? <laughs> what's going on out there? Um, and here, you know, there was, there were all these ways mm-hmm. to be more in touch um, in the world. Yes. And so I'm an extrovert. You may have noticed. <laughs> and so I, and so I jumped in. And so I really just jumped in and really um, got excited about the, you know, the, the integration of EMDR therapy mm-hmm. and and perinatal mental health, you know, got trained into couples therapy models along the way because, you know, you see perinatal mental health, you see couples. Yes. So, you know, you keep hitting a wall. My, my way of working is, you know, I hit a wall. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I got to go find out how to do this. Mm. So what are the ways to do this? You know, so go, go get trained over here. Go get trained over here. And it's, and it's integrative. It's because really the good stuff integrates. Oh, I'm loving so many things you're saying. And I just want to name them before we keep going. I I hear just your commitment to not just lifelong learning, but I hear your commitment to meaning making. And I think so many therapists can relate to that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In general, but especially EMDR therapists who want to work in trauma, right? You hear this from so many of our friends and colleagues that I had this experience or I had this kind of childhood and now I want to 
take what happened yeah. to me and make sense of it mean, and make it mean something and make sure it doesn't happen to these people or they have a different okay. outcome. And we're, and we're driven by that and we're inspired by that. And so I'm, I'm really just appreciating that you had this experience, you noticed what wasn't there for you that should have been there for you, right? Yeah, and and you really just have this, this mission um, and you've already educated so many of us. Um, you know, it's it's just, it's gracious. I know you have your your trainings and your book and, but just the fact that you even come into the Facebook communities and keep educating us about um, how to hold this is really important. And I, I shared with you before we kind of, you know, started the podcast recording, but, you know, when I see a, when I see a blind spot for me, whether it's personal or professional or, or like, I, I, I am naming and, and hoping to validate that I was trained with misinformation mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. EMDR and pregnancy. So, mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, for me to understand not just what the answer is today, but also kind of, you know, right. how do we Why? hold that? I think would help me as a clinician and also just help everyone else mm-hmm. listening who might feel confused and scared. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I want to start, I really appreciate that. I just want to start by saying that, you know, we know that intentions are good. Yes. Right. That, that the avoidance, the saying, no, don't do it. Or, you know, one of the things that happens is that if you really look at, the question is an important question to ask. Yes. I think any question should be asked. Mm-hmm. What, what I respond to when I come into the conversation is the answers. Mm-hmm. And that, and when the answers don't have an evidence base beneath them, what what really is happening is is what we call omission bias. So, if you're familiar with heuristics, heuristics are cognitive shortcuts mm-hmm. and cognitive distortions that all human beings make. We all do it. It's not about being a good person or a smart person. It's what we do. It's because otherwise we'd have to be reconstructing meaning from from yes. from sand every time we we engage in a conversation. So we, heuristics are fabulous, except that sometimes those heuristics involve not just a shortcut but a distortion. Mm-hmm. So there are some that come and and some are persistent in medicine in particular. We see omission bias. So what is omission bias? It says that. Taking action that might confer some risk, maybe, maybe not, but might confer some risk is worse than inaction. Except what gets forgotten is, and what's the risk of inaction? Yes. But there's this idea, and some of it has to do with how we're wired as human beings. When you do something and then you get scared or you do something and then there's a, uh, a side effect or a negative result. This happens a lot with medications. You know, giving a medication that may have a side effect and you know, physicians might, might hold back from giving a medication that has a side effect, maybe not weighing the evidence of, and what, happen, what might happen if I don't give this medication? Awesome benefits. So this is, this is what I believe is happening here with the, this really reflexive no mm-hmm. around EMD therapy, particularly reprocessing phases during pregnancy. One of the things that I see over and over again is that anybody who answers that question without really knowing the perinatal research and also not really understanding what we're doing neurobiologically and what's happening in the the nervous system with EMDR 
they'll answer the question in a whole variety of ways. So I've heard, can't do it in the first trimester, you shouldn't do it in the last trimester, you shouldn't do it. If it's about this pregnancy, you shouldn't do it unless it's about this pregnancy. You should only do it, in the, only do phase two, only do, so, so, I'm, well, okay. So, so what I say is, so why? Yes. Or where's, where's the data to support that? Because if there is data to support not doing reprocessing phases in the first 12, 13 weeks of pregnancy, please show them to me because I would like to know that. Mm-hmm. Because I will change my materials. Yes, we'll modify like as that. we go and learn. Yeah, like if there's mm-hmm. new data, I would like the new data. Yes, yes. Right? I so, think, I, think yeah. the, I want to just, I have to say this. I'm remembering yes. now, I think one of the first times I either saw in a Facebook group, somebody refer to you, or maybe you were even in the thread, was when someone asked that question of like, can I do EMDR when someone's pregnant? And, you know, I want to own like with my own positive intention, right? As an EMDR consultant, I'm like repeating yes. what was told to me. And so I was like, Absolutely. you know, you, you can, but uh, make sure you get medical sign off and make sure like I, it was like a lot of kind of CYA language. It was like, but it yeah. could be really dangerous. And I was repeating these things without, without the why, without the understanding, yeah. right? And even in my basic training I shared with you, I went into this basic training six weeks pregnant with my IVF mm-hmm. twins after I had an ectopic pregnancy and a miscarriage before that. So I came wow. into this training both so excited to learn EMDR because everyone's talking about it. Mm-hmm. So excited I'm finally pregnant, right? Yeah. And it's work, it's sticking, it's working. And yeah. terrified because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out as part of this training, I have to do EMDR in the, pro, in the process. Yeah. And is that safe? And the answer I got was like, do EMDR light. And I was like, I don't know what EMDR is, first of all. I don't mm-hmm. know what EMDR light is. I'm terrified yeah, about this pregnancy. Like. Um, mm-hmm. It is high risk, right? I'm, I'm 35. It's IVF. So mm-hmm. I didn't... And it's twins. Yeah, I didn't have any mm-hmm. answers. And mm-hmm. I kind of just went into the training and tried to kind of have some distance from my own processing, unfortunately. But I think a lot of us are told, like you said, these messages and we just pass them down, mm-hmm. right? We do. Without- we absolutely do. With a positive intention. With, of course, with the best possible intentions. And there is very much a belief like if it's always easier to say no, mm-hmm. except it's not always to, to the person's benefit to say no. The, the belief that saying no, that not acting is more correct. Or like acting. safer somehow, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Safer is, is omission bias. It's omission mm-hmm. bias. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because Ultimately, here's the why. Mm. We have a mountain of evidence about the impact of untreated or inadequately treated anxiety, depression, and PTSD on the pregnancy. Not just the pregnant person. I mean, that's enough, right? This this human being who happens to be pregnant. But, But beyond that, the impact on the pregnancy and the impact on the developing baby, not just temporary, but it persists throughout Mm. childhood. So for example, we know that untreated depression, anxiety, PTSD, we see higher rates of preterm birth. We see intrauterine growth restriction. We see um, uh, not as good vagal tone. Mm. 
in the in the in the developing baby, we see lo, just low birth weight, and then at birth, and so that I mean, there's a very long list actually, mm-hmm. but and then at birth, what we see in the neonate is higher rates of what they call hard crying. So these that sort of tense, arching, hard to soothe kind of crying. Wow. We see these kids who are who are less regulated or less able to be co-regulated because you know you're you're not born able to self-regulate. You've got to start off with co-regulation and that's how you learn to self-regulate. Nervous system learns. And so we see these we see higher rates of things of of just behavior problems, ADHD, cognitive impairment, like real impact, wow. real impact from not acting. Hmm. We also know that EMDR therapy is pro-parasympathetic nervous system. Yes. So it down-regulates the nervous system. So, so even though there are these peaks, mm-hmm. First of all, that's happening anyway. <laughs> Most people are coming into therapy. Yeah, they're getting triggered all the not, time. It's not like people aren't triggered. It's not like people aren't crying. It's not like people aren't upset. It's happening. The kind of stress, so, so let me let me sort of turn, because this is really a three-dimensional conversation. So, so this is already happening. So what I say to people is the thing that you're afraid of inducing by mm-hmm. doing EGR reprocessing is actually already happening. Yes. To your clients. Because when you when you leave them in a state of what we would call toxic stress, untreated anxiety, depression, PTSD is toxic stress. Not all stress is bad. Mm. Some stress is adaptive. And in fact, the developing baby needs exposure to some stress because it entrains the nervous system. Mm. That's how the nervous system develops shock absorbers. Makes sense. So you they so we know, for example, and, and there's some research on what happens in terms of stress around amniocentesis. That's stressful. Mm. Right? Lots of things that happen during the course of a pregnancy are stressful, including getting born. Mm-hmm. Getting born is stressful by design. So w- during w- especially when a baby comes through the birth canal, mm-hmm. it squeezes amniotic fluid out of the lungs. And it's and the and the stress switches fetal circulation to newborn circulation. You need the stress. It's adaptive stress. Wow. Not all so stress purpose- is bad. Mm-hmm. It's so purposeful. And as somebody who spent six and a half weeks on bed rest in the hospital mm-hmm. in preterm labor, I will tell you, steroid shots, in my case, shots, multiple shots. They don't do shots anymore. They do one set of shots. Steroid shots are given very commonly when there's a risk of very preterm birth. Yeah. Why? Because it stresses the baby and it accelerates the develop. People think, oh, well, it accelerates lung development. It does. It also accelerates all organ development. Wow. Because it's stress. Hmm. So there are times when purposeful stress is intended. Now, EMDR therapy, I would not say is actually an example of inducing purposeful stress. I would actually say stress is actually continuous in somebody who's suffering. Yes. Somebody's coming in, they're already suffering. And yes, very often phase two work is magical in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we always are going to, I always tell my, my students, you start EMDR with phase one. Look, phases one and two, 
right? Yes. So, so it's not like you're going to like jump in feet first in phase three and start, start <laughs> reprocessing. Like, you know, you're doing the prep work because you got to know what's there. Yes. You got to know what's there in terms of adaptive information, what's the maladaptive or linked information. You need to know that stuff. So, so we're going to do that work, but we also know that there are lots of times when what's going to bring the real relief is the reprocessing. I have to, I have to pause this conversation, Mara, because I'm, I think I'm noticing the dimensions with you that we're not just talking about pregnancy and EMDR. We're talking about, I think, mm-hmm. even a bigger fear that clinicians hold of, I'm afraid to go into phase four because I don't want to hurt someone. What if they have an ab reaction or leave that window of tolerance? Mm-hmm. And so I'm appreciating this mm-hmm. conversation from that perspective and also kind of the pregnancy and EMDR perspective at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I, thanks for saying that. Because I, I also see that a lot in training and consultation mm-hmm. where there's a real fear that this is going to do harm. And I have really started to wonder mm-hmm. kind of when people are leaving training, what the beliefs are about what we're doing to the nervous system with EMDR therapy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it concerns me Yeah, um, that people think, I mean, we know that EMDR reprocessing, that all of EMDR therapy is powerful. Yes. And I wonder if this, there is this, um, implicit linkage of powerful with the dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think that's, and, that's right. And so, again, when people are practicing under under our protocol, and I, I must say, I, I'm not a protocol sort. That is not my style, which is one of the reasons why I avoided getting trained in EMDR almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But but our the, our protocol is a framework. Yeah. And it and it works and it gives us also tremendous flexibility within the framework. I just want to say that. Oh yeah. Well, even Francine so, wrote, right, that the framework of EMDR is meant to be flexible. Like it's meant to help us think about how to work. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we need to think about how to work. But but you know, I find standard protocol is, you know, 90 plus percent of the time we're using standard protocol. Yep. And then I agree. sometimes some modification. Mm-hmm. But we don't need protocol for everything. We need to know how to conceptualize. That, that's, a, that's a little bit You're of a standard. You're speaking my language, Mara. Yes, that's <laughs> right. kind of conversation. <laughs> um, but, but really, ultimately, um, the fear that this method is going to do harm to people, really, I see people avoiding. I, I also see people avoiding starting reprocessing. And I also think that it has something to do with whether people are doing a solid phase two do they feel like they understand how to help people ground, how to help people reorient, you know, self-co-regulation? There's all kinds of resources that we can pull in, you know, attachment figures, all the things. Yes. Um, and, and the relationship, the therapy relationship. That's right. That's right. Like, how many I, times have people sat in a room with talk therapy and the client has gotten very upset? We've got skills. So, so I, I love what you're saying because I think what I want people to hear is that we're talking about the clinician's relationship with the power of EMDR. Oh, I love how you said that. Right? We're yes. talking about our relationship and our comfort level with the yeah. power that we have. And obviously that's going to be, our own fear is going to be informed by potential misinformation from different trainings. And, you know, people like me who last year was giving people information that was given to me without understanding the why, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But also so much is going to be informed by our own history of how we are in relationship with powerful anything, right? Absolutely. And I, and I will add to that, probably the journey that, that one takes and, and, and the models that, that one is that we're attracted to serve to help us self-regulate. So I will share mm-hmm. that when I, the first training, uh, couples therapy training uh, track that I took and completed was the Gottman model. which is a fantastic model. Mm -hmm. It's very, very cognitive. I am a self-psychologist, just to be clear. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I'm a relational, developmental, attachment-focused therapist. But, oh my God, those couples in my office scared the daylight out of me. And I needed something that was going to say, I'm going to interrupt you right now. And that's what you have, right? By the time I sent my tapes off for certification. Mm. I was signed up for EFT training, which is, which is emotion-focused couples therapy, which is all about attachment. And I can remember sitting in the first phase of training, watching video when somebody is flooding and I was sitting there like, you got to, why aren't you interrupting? You got to interrupt. But it's, you know, again, you gain the comfort and I'm comfortable with emotion. It's very comfortable with intense emotion, certainly with individuals. I saw kids, I saw that I'm not comfortable with emotion, but with couples, mm. because because it can escalate so fast. You know, it's like it's like, you know, conflagration can happen very quickly. That's right. Um, with some couples. So I want I wanted, give me that cog, you know, that very structured approach. And then with time and with experience and with consultation and all the things, I found like this is great if couples are securely attached. It doesn't work so well if couples aren't securely attached. Mm-hmm. Got to do other things. Yeah. So, so I wonder also if people coming into EMDR, where the models that they're comfortable operating out of say, "Oh, emotion needs to be contained." Thank you for saying that. I think that I think that really beautifully summarizes a lot of the fear people have, right? With not just using EMDR. And keeping, like I had a consultee say to me, and I know you've heard this, right? Well, I, I want to make sure they stay in their window of tolerance, yeah. right? Instead of kind of like, how do we just kind of notice if we're on the edge? And if we pop out, like that's not a bad thing. And also <laughs> crying, getting upset does not mean you're out of your window of tolerance. But it's, but again, it's right. It's our relationship. I might be as the clinician be out of my window of tolerance. Like whose window of tolerance are we, are we looking at here? And, and by the way, we have to take care of ourselves. I mean, we have to be providing support for clinicians as well because we're working with trauma. Stuff is intense. I mean, I'm stating the obvious here. Especially now. Yeah. Especially now. And I will add in perinatal mental health, especially, it is not us and them. It is all us. Mm-hmm. So we're all subject to sensitivities and awareness and, whoa, I know somebody or maybe my parent or my sibling or my friend or me or my partner has experienced this thing. And, oh, wait, I'm feeling a thing. Mm. And so maybe I, maybe there's this part of me that, doesn't, that isn't ready to go there. But that's normal stuff. But as we discover that, recognizing, okay, here's where I, I get triggered. I need to work on this. And then, you know, to whatever extent you can say like, okay, maybe I'm not going to see this right population right now. 
Like for me, I can't, I, I, and I am very aware of this. I know that I cannot tolerate seeing trauma in kids who are my kids' ages. I, I had to stop working with littles when I had my Couldn't twins. They're it. five now because it was too close. And, and I it's had to close. That and say, that's okay because that's clinically responsible of me. <laughs> yeah, well, because I knew that I would be, that, that I, I got a referral when my, my son was about two. My, my daughters were about, if they would have been about five, about your twins' ages. And, and it, had, it was a, a terrible death of a two-year-old in an accident. In, in the home, it was a home accident. And I didn't even have to think, it was, nope. Mm-mm. And I was building, I was brand new private practitioner. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Yep. And I know it. And now that my kids are, you know, in their early 20s, I'm very aware when, you know, when I hear about traumas or, or I, you know, something happens in a, in a community I'm living in and I'm yeah. thinking, they're going to call me and I'm like, I, I can't do it. Yes. I can't do it. And I've done, you know, and I just know that for me, the vulnerability around that is, it's just intense. And I can do a lot of EMDR and I have, and I can also say, I don't want to. And that permission is something I hope people can hear as well, right? I hope so too. Um, across so many different content areas. This, this is, I, I love that we're having this conversation and we're doing it within this clinical reasoning framework that allows us to really look at other content areas related to our work with EMDR. I think that's just a, a cool flow of the discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about kind of like what people think when it comes to pregnancy and EMDR. We've mm-hmm. talked about, you know, kind of what people are getting wrong, what, what I've gotten wrong, why people are feeling scared. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question now is, if someone's listening to this or someone's having a client come in who's pregnant and they're noticing mm-hmm. their relationship with this powerful mm-hmm. modality and they're noticing their fear, mm-hmm. what do you recommend happens next? Like, like, like if you had to walk someone through the process of, okay, now what do I do? Besides yeah. posting in a Facebook group, like what's that? Process? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a great question. So, so here's how I would zoom out mm-hmm. and look at it and think about it. So, first and foremost, EMDR starts with phase one. So, so we're pregnancy or not pregnant or not pregnant, we have still the same responsibility to do our assessment to to evaluate also what what's the state of the resourcing. Mm-hmm. to do a good solid phase two and to assess readiness or preparation is the word I prefer for moving into reprocessing. So that process is going to happen regardless. So what I, what I will say is, so pregnancy is not a rule out for any phase of EMDR therapy. No, no trimester, no part of pregnancy is an automatic rule out. That said, we still have to practice mm-hmm. properly, intentionally, right? Taking care of the things we need to take care of. So the client who, who last week, we were, we were, we, good, we finished our finish. We're never done with phase two. We're always doing phase two, basically. Phase two is forever and phase one is forever. So, but like phase two is solid. We, 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 we have an idea, you know, we know what we're going to start with. In terms of target selection, we've done our done a good phase one. We're agreed next week we're going to start reprocessing. 
They walk in the door and they say, I just need to tell you, I've been dying to tell you for weeks, I'm pregnant. I'm laughing because this has happened to me. All the time. Yeah. And I'm not, no, I'm not good. I feel good. You know, I had some nausea, but now I'm in, you know, 15 weeks. I'm great. That client who was adequately prepared last week for EMDR is no less prepared today because now I know they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Now the client with complex trauma or just a lot of stuff that's happening who, who, who's needing a lot of phase two work, who comes in and says they're pregnant. That does not mean we now jump into, into reprocessing. We still do our phase two work because that's what the client is needing in terms of their EMDR journey. Like that's where we're at. When the time comes, when the preparation is where it needs to be, then you look at moving into reprocessing. Beautiful. I, I, I love the, what I'm hearing and I want folks to hear is pregnancy is not a rule out. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I, I think that's just the one thing people I see just getting wrong. Um, and so yeah. if nothing else, I hope people take that away with them today. And I, and I think that maybe people hearing more stories of why mm-hmm. this is important and how it can be successful can help them have those narratives to pull from when they get scared like I was yeah. working with a client without being too identifying too much, but basically we were working together when she just got pregnant virtually and working basically now she's about to have her baby, but you know, her first pregnancy didn't go well, didn't go well after. Mm-hmm. And so we were processing all of that while she was pregnant with her second one. And I yeah. have to tell you, like we just graduated her and she's all, you know, sitting here with this belly and, and she's like, I'm so glad we did this because I already can feel my body's different. And I can already feel the sense of like, when this baby is born, it's not going to be what it was before. Exactly. Exactly. This work is primary prevention. Mm. This is critically important for the pregnant person, birthing person, for this baby or babies. It sets them up for a better postpartum, for better development, for better attunement, yes, and attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's just so much, so much benefit to doing this. Yes, right. So so I I, I just I, I'm reminded as we're talking about the fears people have. I just want to say sometimes what I will hear from people also are things like, "But what if it's a high risk pregnancy?" And my response to that is, "What kind of high risk?" Yes. Because not that, that's all a blanket statement. The same. It doesn't mean anything on its face. So you and I had high risk pregnancies because we were pregnant with twins. And I was geriatric. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you later how they get to that number. Why that's why thirty five is suddenly suddenly you're old. Um, it's 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 that that is a different physiologic situation. It's a different hormonal. The, 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 what's going on in, in, in the HPA axis is entirely different. It's neurobiologically different than somebody with preeclampsia turning into HELP syndrome in a darkened room in the hospital where you don't breathe too loud because they could have a stroke. So, so like we will use our common sense here, right? This is 
So, so but Mari, you said that EMDR, that pregnancy isn't a real life. Yeah, but help syndrome, maybe help syndrome, we could say is a, yeah, we're, we're thinking, think about why, right? What are we saying here? Now, a client might benefit if they know how to do the butterfly tap. Mm. They might benefit from self-administered or loving hands administering soft, soothing, slow tapping. Um, but that's a game time decision, I would say. You are so knowledgeable. I, I appreciate you explaining this to us. I'm learning as you're speaking. And I think that when we go into the field of being a therapist, but especially EMGR therapists, there's, so, there's like this pressure like, oh my gosh, now I've got to learn about pregnancy and IFS and I've got to learn attachment. And it's like, we get overwhelmed, I think, especially coming out of basic training and we could get on this like training hamster wheel where we're like, no, I have totally. to I have to be safe. <laughs> Same. Yeah, um, yeah. My question to you is, what is your advice for people who let's say they're coming out of basic or they're maybe they're just getting certified who feel like they understand EMDR, but they aren't expert or specialized mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you are? What would be your advice for them? Is it just always best to get consultation about these? So you're cases? talking about if if they're getting into because you know EMDR in pregnancy is like one slice of, of talking about EMDR <laughs> in EMDR and perinatal mental health, which is vast and deep and amazing and amazing. And I just have to say, if you think that you don't treat this population, I I will suggest to you that you look around your caseload and your history and think because. Somebody who you're seeing individually could come in to you and say, guess what, I'm pregnant. Or I just had a miscarriage. Or I've had this happen more times than I can count with couples where I'm getting their whole history and then down the line, oh, by the way, we had a stillborn baby 15 oh. years ago, which is when all the conflict started. Oh. Mm -hmm. So you never know. Or there was a terrible postpartum depression you know, or, with the, or the now 10-year-old. Or even people like I like I I want to own. I didn't even believe this was a real thing, but I have had clients who've come in and we're and we're processing their birth trauma. We're processing like them in the womb, oh, yes. and I and yeah. I wasn't and I wasn't yeah. able to believe that till I'm seeing it so real seeing for them and shifting. Well, the body, the body remembers. The body doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. So what gets experienced by the body is going to be held in the body. So it's all preverbal. Yep. So whatever is getting accessed, if you're if we're seeing react activation, right, and then we're target, we're starting to see movement. We're seeing movement. It, it yep. yep. It's it's bringing relief. It's bringing relief. So so it's vast and deep. And so when I I started, I opened a, a special interest group for EMDR and perinatal mental health in 2019. Mm -hmm. And on the application, it says, who is this for? Like, which group of therapists? And I put in all caps, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> everybody, welcome, come. It's a big tent. It applies because, to everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And yeah. it's funny because I've had in my training groups, people who said, you know, I, I haven't knowingly seen so many clients with perinatal mental health, but my own mother mm -hmm. had this and this and this and this. And I'm very aware of that's really powerful. All around us. All around us. And we see this all the time. And, and we were talking before we started recording about these images coming out of Ukraine right now. You know, the NICU babies who are being bagged because they're, there's no power and they're also not in the hospital. 
or some are in the hospital without power. And these mothers birthing, these pregnant people birthing in bomb shelters or in makeshift bomb shelters. And what is that? What, what is the, the repercussion for, for all of these things that are happening? Yeah. Um, and, and just the amount of trauma in that environment right now. And these, and these babies, these little kids. And and thank you for bringing that into the recording because we were talking about it, and I know we've all seen those images and we're so impacted, especially if if we have you know our own children. It's like we we feel that in our body. And yeah. as you were just talking about those images, I had this overwhelming feeling of like those images make it so clear. Like if like if I was there, yeah. if I would. It's like of course I would give this person EMDR. Of course yeah. I would. You know like. And I think that having that extreme scene, yeah, I think might actually, even though it's horrific, help us here at home where we're safe, have mm-hmm. more courage to respond to people that we might feel hesitant to help. Yes, yes. So it's clarifying. Yes, it's clarifying. And, and I think of, of all of this work that we do um, as, as helping to build better shock absorption for people. And so certainly when some when you see the, those raw images, like you said, it's so evident. Of course, I mean, how could you not put insulation in there? How could you not, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but of course, again, the fear, we, we, don't want, we don't want to make anything worse. And so I, I just want to say again, I understand why people say, trainers and consultants and clinicians say, I'd better not, I'd rather not. And some of it I think actually will for some people have to do with how skilled they feel in EMDR if they're not sure. And so then get consultation. There's there's training in perinatal mental health that I really encourage people to take. There are trainings on EMDR and perinatal mental health right now that I, I'm the trainer for, but I just want you to know that I'm working very hard with, with a team to build a perinatal training track for, for treating disruption in the perinatal period. And I use the word disruption intentionally because there are, as we all know, there are lots of kinds of experiences that can impact the nervous system in a way that traumatizes it. Yes. And I want to make it clear that we, we, treat, we treat the impact. Mm. We don't have to decide whether we think the thing that made the impact counts. So if, if my windshield is cracked, I don't look and say, well, those pebbles were too small to do that. I look at my windshield. <laughs> my windshield does not lie to me. <laughs> it's cracked. I got to take care of it. Yes. Right? So, so I'm, I'm working with a team of people to bring in other people with expertise, with deeper expertise than I have in certain areas. Infertility, adoption. Yes. Um, you know, couples, couples in the perinatal period, complex trauma and attachment in perinatal period. Mm. So, so there's so many subspecialty areas. And so my, where I'm putting myself is to say like, hey, I got your back. I want to support you in doing it. I want to invite you in to say, hey, how can we help? Yeah. I, I've done this for a while. I kind of know how to, how to think about doing it, but you know, you bring in your ways. You want to do it differently, do it differently. So, so we're working to create this training program mm. No, no certification, just just yeah. a, like a certificate, but to say like, hey, I've really done, you know gone deep, and also I want to learn this stuff, yes. and I want to learn from people who 
really understand how to integrate, you know, these different pieces, you know, like, like, you know, a clinician who's certified in EFT and also yeah. EMDR and a consultant, right? Put it together. Like, let's talk about how we would do this work. And what about in the perinatal period? So all the things. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm just, I know I just met you. I'm just appreciating you so much. And oh, we'll, we'll put Likewise. it in the show notes, you know, like how people can get in touch with you if they want to work with cool. you for consultation or if they want to come into your program. I'm very happy to hear that you're thinking about how to expand access to this information, whether it's because we're just one person, right? But for you to be able right. to... And I don't know knowledge. all the things. Like I, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking many of the courses as well that are going to be offered by my colleagues. Yes. Right. And I want to, I want to encourage them to take what they know and turn it into something accessible as well. So yeah, I think it's going to be really great. It's going to be super fun. I love the legacy that you're creating. I, I love that you're thinking. I love that you took something that happened to you, that you made meaning of it. You turned it into your life's work because you can see how important it is and how connected it is to everything. Um, I love that you're already thinking about how to make that accessible to lots and lots of people who obviously, mm -hmm. myself included, need to learn more about this. Um, and I love the permission and clarity you offered today for people about maybe things we're hearing that aren't accurate or informed or mm -hmm. missing the why. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I want to ask a question before we end today. You know, I I love having consultees or colleagues around me who do what you did, right? Which is to mm -hmm. see that there's this thing happening. We don't fully know about it yet, or no one's talking mm -hmm. about this in the way they should be yet. Let's bring it to the platform and let's talk about it and learn about it together because it's important. And so that makes us a leader, right? In the EMDR field, that makes you a thought leader. It makes you a clinical leader. And so if there are people listening to this who are noticing mm -hmm. in their own work or their own personal lives, a content area that doesn't mm -hmm. feel like it's getting the right amount of attention or consideration... Do you have any advice for people that are having that experience that you had however many years ago? Yeah. Yeah. To 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 how to how to get that mobilized? Yeah. 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 I do. So the first thing is look for your people, mm -hmm. people who understand to get support for yourself. My journey started with my aunt support for myself as a parent of preemies. Mm -hmm. And from there. The person I am as a clinician and a therapist and the person I am as a parent and, and mom to preemies started to move closer together and interconnect. Ask for advice from people that you, whose work you want to emulate. That's how I met Debbie Davis. Mm -hmm. I found her book and I read it and I was like, this is it. It's not flinching. It's interviewing parents. It's incredible. And through a whole like series of events that were like, oh my God, how did this actually happen? I ended up, I called her and I said, how did you get a publisher to publish this? Yeah. Because it's so intense. I've talked. So we're now doing a work. We've, we wrote two books together. We've done a million uh, conferences together. We wrote a book chapter together and now we're doing another workshop together in May on perinatal bereavement. Like we're still yes. 25 years later. You found your person. <laughs> I found, I found what, yeah. But, 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 it, but, I, but I wasn't looking to see if I could collaborate with her. I was like, 
what can you share about your experience? Can you know, can you give me advice about how to do it? And then once you start to do the work and share what you know, this is really important. And Debbie and I found this all the way through our writing of the book. We wrote content and gave it away. Yes. Be generous. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just be generous. You know, nobody is going to do what you do the way that you do it. And so even when there are other people talking about a topic and maybe you don't love the way they're talking about it or you have something to add, it's okay because people are talking about it. You join the conversation with generosity, with curiosity, and then you, everybody, every, all boats rise, mm. right? What, yes. so we give it away and you value yourself. Yes. So it's, it's, it's just balance. And, and, Find your people and have a group of people you're like, what do you think? You know, it's not like there's like a single, like, this is it and how you do it. Like, there's always wiggle room about, listen, I think I should get paid for this versus I can give this away. Yes. This is, we all do this. We all struggle around this. But if you can join, find your people, whether they're in terms of how you think about things or also content specific, but all of it, find your people, find your mentors start start to talk about what you love. If you do what you love, all things will come because you're going to learn what you love and you're going to realize what you need to learn, but also what you can share. Like it all starts to become clearer when you're in relationship with people. You can't do it alone inside your head. That's I right. guess that's what I'm trying to get to. You can't do it all day talking. You can't do it alone inside we your need head. each other. Yes. Need each other. Well, and I, and I think what I can feel through the screen from you is that, you know, you, you're kind of blending this, this personal part and this professional part. And I think there is something very powerful that happens when you have that integration in yourself and you just have this space to be authentic and use your voice to say like, Hey, this is going wrong. Let's be curious about it in, in the framework that I'm coming from. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be. In the EMDR community, I'm excited to see all of this just like explosion of ideas and different content areas. And it's just a clinically fascinating place to get to work and and be a part of. Um, And I'm, again, so grateful to all of your generosity with your uh, information for us in our Facebook groups and and talking with me here today. My pleasure. My pleasure. And, you know, I really also appreciate and admire all that you're doing in the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's so great to talk. Thank so you. great to talk with you. Such, such great questions. And, great. Well, we would love to, have you, love to have you back on. Maybe we can do a follow-up and see We'd if there are any questions. Maybe we can do a little Q&A. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll be happy to great. do that. Thank you so much. I want to, again... Thank Mara Tesler Stein for hanging out with us today and being, like she says, so generous with all the things that she has lived through and learned and integrated. It really is a beautiful legacy as a teacher and thought leader to leave a wealth of information and to give learners a relationship with that content. 
Uh, and Mara has a gift for that, which I deeply respect. So thank you so much, Mara, for hanging out with me and, and meeting me virtually. And I hope this has been helpful for all of you who are watching or listening. If you are interested in getting to know more about what Mara's up to, you can find out information about how to contact her in the show notes. And if you're somebody who is jiving with this, with this message of, you know, being a thought leader or developing new content in a clinical area or meaning making of your own experience and, and giving that back and um, to clients and the community you're a part of, I would invite you, if you're not already, to join us here at Zero Disturbance. We have an incredible um, welcome bundle free resource for you guys. It's just this combination of resources about intensives, passive income, EMDR informed clinical reasoning and creativity and resourcing. And it's really just a a bundle of all my favorite resources that I've been sharing over the past several years with all of you. So make sure you grab that in the link below. And until next time, y'all, please stay safe, healthy, be kind to each other. The world needs so much of your kindness right now. And I will look forward to seeing you again next time. Take care. 